0: Yes, I, I don't have the rhythm to do the dance there. That was good. Um, y'all are awesome. Um, hi. Y'all are good. Y'all are good. Um, I'm excited to be here today. I'm excited to be able to come to you and preach the word. Um, before we do that, though, let's, let's pray. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity, the chance to worship you. I pray that uh, the words that I speak will be the words, um, your words, that the words that come out of my mouth will honor and glorify you and that we can come to know you better and draw closer to you this day. Thank you so much, Father, for this time. Amen. So, uh, like I said earlier, I spoke with uh, David last night via email. Uh, He emailed me at 8.00 or so, which was roughly 8.30 in the morning he was on his way to church, and he wanted me to tell you, he said hello to all the saints here at New Covenant Church, so hello from David, um, and as, as speaking of David, we, we asked him, when he asked me to preach, um, I asked him, you know, what, what do you want me to preach on, and he said, you know, I don't care, preach, and so I said, okay, um, can you give me a little more help, and he said, sure, why don't you do something that the Lord's put on your heart that maybe you've, you've uh, been teaching through this year or something that you've been going through already? And so I uh, started to pray about it, and I started to pray and think through, you know, what, what have I done, what, what have I taught through this past year that might be, uh, that might, the Lord might want you to hear? And so last year, last semester, we went through the book of Galatians, and the Lord really put that on my heart because... Um, it's such a, such a beautiful book, and it really hit me as we were going through it, as I was teaching through it last semester, that this is applicable to all peoples, not just high school kids. Of course it is, because it's the Bible. Um, but that was providential, because this is July 4th weekend, uh, and this is the weekend of freedom. This is the Independence Day. This is when the United States of America got our freedom, and the book of Galatians is about freedom. Freedom from anxiety, freedom from fear, freedom from the oppression of sin and death. And and so, it's really amazing and providential how the Lord led that and just kind of worked it all together. We're talking about freedom today. So what we're going to do, I think David did Ephesians in two years, is that right? I think, maybe? Well, we're going to do the whole book of Galatians today. So hang on. Uh, Before we get to that, however... Uh, I want to give a little bit of background, a little bit of story. <coughs> and By the way, thank you for those of you who prayed for me this week. I got sick, like Tuesday, um, and so if you hear me coughing or something like that, I'm sorry, but that's what's happening. Um, thank you for your prayers. Last semester, I taught through the book of Exodus as well. Um, and the story, That is the story of how the people of God got their identity, how the people of God were brought into their own nation and given a purpose they were given a direction they were given a call Um, and more importantly the old testament this was the biggest redemptive historical event in the entire old testament this was god freeing his people and the rest of the old testament points back to this event and says you were brought out of egypt you were freed therefore act Um, when they were brought out of egypt when they were freed the israelites were given the law a lot of times we remember the book of Exodus. We remember the parting of the Red Sea, all the cool uh, miracles that happened. But at the end of the book of Exodus is the law, um, which you know sometimes when maybe in February when you're reading through this on your year-long plan, you might skip through that part a little bit because the laws get a little tedious. But the laws are important because they reveal the character of God. They reveal who God is, and more importantly, the people of God in in this story. This overarching story, were given their freedom, and then they were told how to respond to their freedom. They were given their freedom, and then they were given the law, and how to respond to their freedom. But then, a large portion of people in the Israelite community, and this, this is going from back from Exodus all the way to the New Testament, a large part of the community in the uh, in the Israelites, they started, in a, in a desire to obey the law, they started to get wrapped up in doing the law. They were so, they completely missed the point of the law. They started doing so things so they wouldn't get close to the things that they weren't supposed to do. Said another way, I know that sounded really confusing. God made a fence, said this is, this is the fence. I don't want you to go past this fence. This is my law, this is my character, this is who I am. I don't want, this is what I value. I don't want you to go across that. So what some of the people started to do was they, went, well, here's the, here's the fence we're going to make a fence around that fence so that we don't get close to the fence that God made. And then, you know what, but even safer, well, let's make another fence so that we're going to get close to that fence so we don't get close to the fence that God made. So eventually we started, they started making these fences around the fence of God, and so much so that their fences became God's fences. Their law became what they hoped to be was God's law. They not, and that's not the worst thing. The desire was right. They didn't want to transgress the They didn't want to break the law of God, which is good, right? I think we can all agree that breaking the law of the almighty, all-powerful, supreme God of the universe is not a good thing. But their desire shifted away from this desire to obey God to a desire to control God. They wanted to not, they, they wanted to, now we have these fences, now you can't go to this fence. Now you can't go to this fence. They they wanted to control God. They were living in fear where if we can have some sort of control on our life, then we'll be okay. Their, Their actions were so focused on their religion. Their actions were so focused on their worship, their ethics. Their actions didn't come anywhere near their hearts. Sometimes in the Bible, these people are referred to as Pharisees. But just as often as not, I would propose to you that the word Pharisee can be replaced with the word Christian. Galatians, then, is a book for recovering Pharisees. And we're going to look through that whole book now. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, open up to, flip your apps open to Galatians 1. Starting a good place to start, right? Galatians one one. Good. Let's go. Paul. Galatians 1. one. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia. Two verses in, we're going to do the whole book. Let's stop there, though. I'm doing good, two verses, doing good. First off, um, here we have this idea of the submission of authority. Right off the bat, Paul introduces himself, Paul, an apostle. Um, This is a big theme. He's asserting his authority throughout the rest of the book. This is a major theme in the book where he, he has to assert who he is and what divine authority he's been given, because, look, he doesn't say, Paul, an apostle of the Church of Christ. Paul, an apostle from other men. I've been give- Paul, an apostle, ordained by this denomination. He says, no, Paul, an apostle, not from man, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. This is apostolic authority. This is divine authority here. And sometimes, especially in America, when we, we, you know, we, we're independent, we're, we stick it to the man, um, we like our freedom, and we don't like this idea of authority most of the time. But as a divine authority, as an apostolic authority that occurred one time in one, one situation, we need to submit to it. That idea of submission, too, has been kind of warped and twisted a little bit. But honestly, to me, it's a bit of a relief. This idea of submitting to the word of God, this idea of submitting to this authority is a bit of a relief. If you're looking for truth, if you're looking for something that can be relied upon, that's something steady in an unsteady world, here it is. The authority of God is here, and it was given to us. When everywhere and everything around us is saying, you can't trust something, you can't trust this, you can't trust that, Nothing can be certain, nothing is trusted. There's huge comfort in the fact that the message of this letter, the message of the Bible, is reliable. It is trustworthy. There's huge comfort in that. The freedom of the gospel in this book that Paul preaches from through here, is reliable. So what does he preach? I said earlier that this, that this, this gospel, this excuse me, this book was a book for recovering Pharisees. What does he say? to these recovering Pharisees. Three through five. Um, Grace to you and peace from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, five verses in, doing the whole book, I'm doing good. We'll stop there though. Um, The answer to the recovering Pharisees, what he tells them is the gospel. He doesn't he doesn't beat around the bush he doesn't take his time he jumps right into it from the very get-go the first five verses he's already presented the gospel to them this is huge you can feel the uh, the, the, the pressure the anxiety almost that Paul has for these people he wants them to know the gospel right out of the gate there are four things four things um, from these three verses that I'm pull that teach us the important things Four of the important things about the cross of Christ. First, it shows us the willingness of Jesus to go to the cross. If you look back at verse four, who gave himself, Christ who gave himself. Um, I once heard a sermon, or I once heard a pastor, he was asked the question if God the Father killed his son, isn't that just some sort of divine child abuse? Why would I want to worship a God like that? John 10, 10, 17, 18 said, where Jesus says, I laid down my life. No one takes it from me. There's no sort of divine child abuse here. Jesus gave himself willingly. He walked to the cross on his own two feet willingly. Now, uh, uh, this is in my notes, but I was teaching a small group one time of several years ago, and um, I don't even remember what the discussion was about, but we were leading up to the answer being the gospel, and one of the kids in my, my, my group said, yeah, 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 we get it, we get it, the gospel, um, and that kind of struck me a little bit, it was like, well, yeah, you're right, that's where we're going with this, but So often I feel like that's that's our response to the gospel. Yeah, 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 yeah. the gospel, we got it. Now let's move on to some more theologically rich stuff. If that's your response to the gospel, and it's been my response to the gospel, is that accurate of the gospel? Has the gospel really touched your life? If the most amazing event in all of human history that occurred, if our response is, yeah, 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 yeah," the gospel, we get it. Is, Is that our response? Um, the willingness of Jesus to go to the cross, he gave the most precious gift in human history. The, the, the biggest event that has ever occurred, we based our calendar off of it, is Jesus himself. He chose to do it. God didn't force him into it. The Father didn't make him do it. He said, I'll go. Send me. I'll go. He did it willingly. The second second thing, most important thing about the cross we find in these verses, is the purpose of God's cross. These verses show us the purpose of the cross. Look again at uh, verse 4. He gave himself for our sins. For our sins. The purpose of the cross, for our sins. There was a transaction that took place upon the cross. There there was a debt that was owed. There was um, a punishment to be received that was necessary, and Jesus took that. For our sins. It's me and you. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. Where the sins that we, the debt that we owed was transferred to to the cross on Christ. Uh, Christ gathered up the cross, gathered up the sin, put it on himself and nailed it to the cross. And gave us his righteousness. This wasn't also just an example of supreme sacrifice. So often in literature and in movies, you see depictions of someone who's laid his life down for someone else. And a lot of times people look at that and say, well, that's great. You know, that's a good example of the way we should love and serve one another is um, by, by laying our life down. This isn't just an example of supreme sacrifice. The, the, the death of Jesus Christ was the means of atonement. It was the means of the way that we can be brought into a right relationship with God. It was possible, by the death of cross, the forgiveness and justice can occur at the same time. <coughs> excuse me. So what does this mean for you? What does this mean for you today sitting in the pew, or chairs, sorry, um, right now, right here, when you leave, what does this mean? Um, this means when you're accused of sin, when you're, excuse me, when you're accused of being a sinner, The answer is, yes. Yes, I am. Um, Satan uh, is the great accuser, the father of lies. He likes to play off of that. He likes to say, you are a sinner. You are accursed, and therefore you are damned because you are a sinner. The response to that is, yes, I am a sinner. We're going to listen to a song in a little bit called Embracing Accusations. Uh, I'm going to le- read you some lyrics because they're so powerful. Um, I'm not going to sing them because I don't want to put you through that, but I'm going I'm to read them. It says this, The devil is preaching the song of the redeemed. The devil is preaching the song of the redeemed, that I am cursed and gone astray. I cannot gain salvation. The devil's singing over me an age-old song, that I am cursed and gone astray singing the first verse so conveniently over me, but he's forgotten the refrain, Jesus saves. So when you're accused of being a sinner, when you're accused that you are a sinner worth nothing of damnation, but damnation, the answer is yes, I am a sinner, but Jesus saves. Yes, I am a sinner, and Jesus still died for me. That takes the sting right out of it. It takes all the power away when Christ was willing to lay himself down for you. Thirdly, uh, the third most important thing we pull from this text is it shows us the effect of the cross. To deliver us from this present evil age. To deliver, deliver us from this present evil age. This is, the gospel is a rescue mission. The gospel, um, just like the Israelites were rescued from Egypt, and brought into brought towards the promised land we are rescued from this evil age. Notice it doesn't say the evil world or or the idea is not not necessarily a modern time period so to speak. But rather it's talking about this age of sin and corruption, the age of Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, which we're still in. Theologians have called this the already not yet. Because <coughs> excuse me, we we live in this evil realm of sin and corruption and death and despair. We live there, but we have been saved. Already, we're already saved, but not yet brought to fruition. Not yet brought to completion, which will occur in Genesis 20, or Revelation 22. Fourthly, shows us the origin of the cross. The origin of the cross. According to the will of our God and Father. Verse 4 there. Um, The execution of Jesus was not an unforeseen tragedy. God God didn't go, oh no, what what happened? Jesus died. God didn't do that. This was part of his plan from all eternity for sinners. This was rooted in God's mind. One commentator said it beautifully. He said, the Father does not love us because the Son died for us. Rather, the Son died for us because the Father loves us. The Father does not love us because the Son died for us. Rather, the Son died for us because the Father loves us. There's such such a beauty in that the origin of the cross was in the Father's heart. And, in verse 5, to whom be the glory forever and ever. What other response can we have to this wonderful, beautiful gospel message than to give God the glory forever and ever? Notice, too, that these verses, they don't say a single thing, not one word about what you do for God. Not a single thing about anything that we can or anything that we do do to get to God. They simply say what God has done in human history. It is through grace alone, by faith, that Jesus saves. Not anything that we have done. So in light of this glorious work, in light of this glorious grace that we've been given, how do we respond? Said another way, how do we, in verse 5, give glory back to God the Father forever and ever? I told you we are going to go through the whole book. So we got five, five chapters in. I got like 10 minutes left. We're doing good. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, let's flip over to verse, chapter 4. Chapter 4. Um, how do we respond? How do we give glory to God? Since we've been given this freedom from the oppression of sin and death, um, we're, we're freed from this idea of trying to earn God's approval, what do we do with this freedom? Um, a good place to start is, what is freedom? What is freedom? When I first was, was thinking through this, the first thought that popped into my head uh, was William Wallace. I mean, you've seen the movie Braveheart. William Wallace, when he screams out, freedom! You know, um, and then he's, he does the rallying, rallying speech to get his men to fight. Um, but is that what freedom is? Is that what freedom is when, you, when you're uh, fighting or, or, or um, uh, rallying people to a cause or something that women, men and women have fought and died for? Um, is that what freedom? Uh, I, I don't, maybe. I, don't, I think the great church father, Augustine, said it very well. Uh, he said that true freedom is not a choice or lack of constraint, but is being what you are meant to be. Humans were created in the image of God and then true freedom is then found in not moving away from that image, but living it out. The closer we conform to the true image of God, Jesus Christ, the freer we become. The farther we drift from it, the more our freedom shrinks. Augustine had a lot of good thoughts. So, how do we conform to Christ then? Let's look uh, look at chapter five. Sorry. Chapter five in Galatians. But a little bit of background on that. Paul spent four chapters right out the gate, he presents the gospel. Then he spends four chapters um, telling the Galatians that when you add something to the cross of Christ, it nullifies it. So the specific thing that they're, they're, they're having a hard time with here is circumcision. They're, they're saying there are men coming in and telling them you need to believe the gospel of Christ and be circumcised in order to be saved. Um, Paul, Paul pushes back against that pretty strongly. This is one of the strongest worded letters in the New Testament. Um, Paul is fighting fiercely here. And it's because when you add something to the cross of Christ, when you say Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus going to this denomination. Jesus plus doing this. Right, it nullifies the cross of Christ. Paul, we need to rebel against that idea of adding anything to the cross of Christ because that cross of Christ is sufficient and strong enough to stand on its own. We've been given a new identity. In verse, chapter 4, flip back there, sorry, one through 7 I'll read it to you. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, But he is under the guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We've been given this new identity. Paul lays it up pretty clearly there. You've been brought out of slavery. You're not a child of slavery anymore, but you are adopted into the family of God. You're given a new name, a new identity. Who you are is different. You've been freed. That's the gospel message. You've been freed from slavery. So what do you do with this, this freedom? Um, in chapter 5, Paul starts it out here. And I would offer you that there are two responses that typically we we do with our freedom. Two responses. The first one is legalism. Let's look at verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Um, This idea of legalism. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Why would we do that? Why would we Submit ourselves again. Once we've been freed, why would we put ourselves back under slavery? <coughs> I, would, I would offer you there are several temptations. This idea of or putting ourselves back under legalism. Um, there's a security, right? There's a security, and there's a self accomplishment. There's a value, of the worth that you can feel when you can prove that you're a good person, that you're a good Christian. You can check off the box and say, I did that, I did my small time, or my small time, my quiet time, I went to my small group, I check, 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 I'm a good Christian. Look, see, I'm a good Christian. There's security in that, right? That makes you feel good that you can say, yes, I've done these things, and now I'm okay. Um, there's there's this pride in being able to take care of yourself. However, there are several dangers to this 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 response to our freedom, this legalism. The dangers are seen, uh, if you look in verse three. five, Chapter five, verse three. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Obligated to keep the whole law. If you accept one part of the law, you gotta do it all. If you accept one thing, you have to do it all you're severed from Christ you're fallen away from grace by trying to check these boxes you're accomplishing the opposite of what you're trying to do if you don't need Jesus for salvation then the work and the, the work of cro- the cross means nothing if you can save yourself then Jesus died for nothing and Jesus doesn't die for nothing By trying to gain salvation by the things that you do, by trying to prove yourself, you actually lose yourself. You lose the gospel, and in doing so, you give up the relationship with God. Secondly, the second kind of thing we learn about how we how we respond to our freedom is license. License is this idea of a loose living, or, or a liberty of action, being able to kind of do whatever you want to do. I've been freed, so I can do whatever I want. Um, legalism demands responsibility without freedom. License grants freedom without responsibility. There are a plethora of examples here. Um, in the 60s, there was the free love movement, where basically it was just you can do whatever you want and have just indiscriminate sex with whoever you want. There's an old Greek proverb that says, A free man is one who lives as he chooses. The free man is one who lives as he chooses. But is that true freedom? Is that what it really means to be free? To be able to do whatever you want with no consequences? Look at uh, chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The Greek word here that's translated as an opportunity, it comes from this idea of a military term as a base of operations. So essentially the idea here is that we, we must not allow sin to gain a beachhead to launch a spiritual attack against us. So, license, then, is self-enslaving. John 8, 34 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. In other words, license is the very opposite of liberty. It's really just another form of slavery. If you've committed one one sin, you are a slave to sin. So, in, in... living however you want, with no responsibility, with no, with no no consequences, you are actually enslaved to your own sin. You're not free. Secondly, it's self-destroying. License is self-destroying. Galatians 5.15. Um, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The Galatians here are in a lot of fights, disputes, arguments. They're arguing over, specifically circumcision, but mainly the whole law. Um, and Paul was very concerned that that this freedom that they've been given was going to cause their destruction. If you look at the imagery here, the the words, if you bite and devour one another, that biting and devouring is very animalistic. It sounds like a wild animal here. So the idea, the license seems to be giving this very loss of humanity, the loss of an image-bearing of God, which you're designed to be. You're designed to be an image-bearer. And when you use your freedom that you've been given in the gospel— to do whatever you want, you're, you're, basic, you're losing your image bearing. You're losing who you were designed to be. What do we do then? What do we do? In response to this, in response to the freedom, we don't, we don't want to go off one side and go legalism. We don't want to shift to the other side and do whatever the heck you want with license. So what do we do? Um, look at 522 the fruits of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, this, this verse is not about being good. Um, this is about the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. Paul just spent five chapters arguing against this idea that you need to add something to the gospel of Christ, or you need to do something to be a good Christian. And then he gives us the fruits of the Spirit. Sometimes we take the fruits of the Spirit and turn them into the laws of the Spirit. I'm a good Christian because I'm loving, I'm joyful, I'm peace, I'm patient. Or I'm not a good Christian because I don't have love, I'm not joyful, I'm not peace, I'm not patient. Like We turn those things into the laws, which was the exact opposite of what Paul has been arguing the whole time. D.L. Moody, a, a preacher, D.L. Moody, once he was speaking to a large audience, and he held up a glass, and he said, he asked, the, he asked the, the people, how can I get the air out of this glass? And, and one man shouted to him, you can get a vacuum and suck the air out. Well, and he responded, well, if we do that, the, the, the vacuum will create a vacuum in the glass and shatter the glass. A bunch of other people tossed a lot of different things. Finally, D.L. Moody picked up a pitcher of water, and poured water into the glass. And he said, look, the air is all gone. He goes on to explain that the victory in Christian life is not found or not accomplished by sucking sin out, but rather it's being filled with the Holy Spirit. Christians aren't made better Christians by the fruits of these spirits. That's exactly what Paul was arguing against. Paul is saying here that with the freedom from the guilt of sin, um, as Christians, we are being filled with the Holy Spirit. And through that filling, a new fruit is growing. There's new fruit. Uh, An apple tree bears apples, not oranges. A Christian bears these fruits because he is a Christian. It's a new identity, and therefore, a new action. The only way to get rid of legalism The only way to be free from license is a willing submission to the Holy Spirit. It's development of fruit in your life. The only way to true freedom, the only way to have an overwhelming abundance of freedom and joy found in the gospel is not to do anything you want or to follow a five-step program to get you where you need to be, but rather it's to love and submit to the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your mind. And in this love and submission to the Lord and creator of the whole universe, there is true freedom. There's freedom from the need to prove yourself. There's freedom from the guilt and shame of not being able to prove yourself. And there's a freedom to be the creation that the creator designed you to be. And it's only through the work of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you sent your Son. And Jesus, thank you so much that you willingly walked to the cross for us. Thank you for the freedom we have. I pray that as we leave here today, we would glorify you with our freedom. That by that freedom... We will honor you by being who you designed us to be. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for this freedom. Amen.